Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk. My co-host Nolan Bicknell is on vacation this week. On today's show, the Winnipeg Foundation recently hosted the next in its series of vital conversations, Bridging Divides, Shaping Futures, which was held in partnership with Circles for Reconciliation. We'll have coverage from the event and reactions from some of the participants. Then we'll be joined by Henny Corin, one of the organizers of Art in Bloom at the Winnipeg Art Gallery, and we'll learn all about how it's bringing flowers and modern art together. We'll also be joined by Ali Raza Aladina, a participant in the Winnipeg Foundation's Emerging Leaders Fellowship, to learn more about his Indigenous Newcomer Services Research Project with the Social Planning Council of Winnipeg. And Noah Ehrenberg, the convener of Community News Commons, will join us in studio to discuss the latest stories written by citizen journalists over at CNC. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning and welcome to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you this morning. My co-host Nolan Bicknell is on a very well-deserved vacation this week, so hope you're enjoying your time out west, Nolan. But this week, I'm not solo. I'm joined by a guest co-host, our senior producer, Shaylin McMahon, who has joined the team for the next few weeks to bring us more great stories for the show. Welcome, Shaylin. Thank you. So I understand the first story you've produced for us was on the Winnipeg Foundation's recent Vital Conversation, which was Mm -hmm. called Bridging Divides, Shaping Futures. It was part of the Winnipeg's Vital Signs Project that has been an ongoing project for the Foundation this year. We'll have more on the conference coming up, but first we have to start the show off as we always do, which is with a song. And what are what's our first song going to be this morning? It's Stan Kenton and his orchestra with All the Things You Are right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you this morning, and I am joined by our senior producer and guest co-host for this morning, Shaylin McMahon. So as we were mentioning before the break, the Winnipeg Foundation held its most recent Vital Conversation. It's part of the Winnipeg Foundation's year-long Vital Signs Project, which is a checkup on the vitality of Winnipeg that identifies significant needs and trends. Uh, The Vital Conversation happened this past Wednesday. It was a day-long conference that aimed to discuss truth and reconciliation and strengthen the relations between the Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities here in Winnipeg. So Shaylin, what was the conference like from your perspective? It was it was an extremely moving day. It was a partnership with Circles for Reconciliation, which is organized by Dr. Raymond Curry and Clayton Sandy. And you could just tell right from the get-go that it was going to be a powerful day. It started with Dr. Curry talking about why him and Mr. Sandy organized Circles for Reconciliation. In June 2015, when the interim report for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was released, the last paragraph in bold type began with the sentence, there's no reason for anyone who wants to contribute to the reconciliation process to wait until the publication of the commission's final report. So I decided I wanted to do something. And shortly after that, Dr. Curry started talking about how they wanted to offer three things through these circles for reconciliation. They wanted to offer an opportunity, a structure, and informed content, all in a safe and respectful environment for people to get together and share their own experiences and then hear about the experiences of others. We do hope that the sharing offered today in the circles you attend will educate you, inspire you, and perhaps advance all of us on Canada's healing journey. As the TRC says, reconciliation begins with each and every one of us. Listeners to the show in previous weeks will have heard Dr. Curry and Mr. Sandy on the program. They had recently joined us for an interview. And another friend of the show, Kevin Lamaru, the Associate Vice President of Indigenous Affairs at the University of Winnipeg, was the keynote speaker at the event. Absolutely. And he is such a captivating speaker. And he really set the stage for the rest of the day. He talked about hope and what he hoped we would all get out of the day. And he began by speaking about the best day of his life. which was on June 2nd, 2015, when the final report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada was released. He was in Ottawa for the release, and he talked about how being able to witness this critical moment for our country impacted him. And I want to tell you that there were just as many non-Indigenous people as there were Indigenous people at this day. And we all gathered into this place, and it didn't matter what family background, where you came from in the world, what language you spoke. All that mattered was the sense of hope for a better future. And we got to be in this place, and I got to hear the booming, powerful voice, the words of 
Justice Murray Sinclair, now Senator, when he talked about Canada's greatest shame and Canada's greatest hope for reclaiming its dignity. And I got to see the dancing in that place. And I got to hear the singing. And I got to be a part of all of that. It was one of the best days of my life. And Kevin kept talking about hope and having this ability to move forward thanks to the TRC. And he was very clear that when he was saying we, he was talking about everyone. He was talking about everyone in the room. He was talking about everyone in Canada, Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians, about the whole country. What you and I were given that day was a gift. And the gift that we were given that day, by my estimation, is the 94 calls to action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. These 94 calls to action that I've been referring to ever since as our roadmap home. This is our way back to the country that should have been our birthright. This is our way back to the society that we would like to be able to leave behind for our children. We will be a country that heals. We will accomplish what we mean to do. And it's going to begin by conversations that you are a part of by ensuring that this never disappears as a political issue. Kevin is such an engaging speaker. We've had him on the show before, and I've also had the chance to hear him speak, and he always brings such a hopeful message. There's a great sense of hope that you get after listening to him. And we'll actually have an extended interview with Kevin on a future episode of River City 360 in May, so be sure to stay tuned for that. So after Kevin Lamoureux's keynote speech, there were gathering circles that took place. Tell us about some of the circles. Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, there were different circles and each circle had a different theme revolving on reconciliation. So some of the different themes are intergenerational trauma. They had indigenous spiritualities. Reconciliation as a whole was its own theme and residential schools was another theme. So there's all these, these different themes and each circle has a facilitator who's been trained and gone through the process of you know facilitating this positive conversation among people introducing people to these themes or you know bridging some gaps through this conversation the first theme that I sat in on was for the meaning of land for Indigenous people. And I have to admit, it's, I, was, I was pretty nervous, to be honest. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect. I knew it could get pretty heavy. But right away, you could tell it was a really, really positive experience. The facilitator's name was Ingrid Dowin, and she was absolutely amazing. She, she really just emphasized that this was a place of trust, openness, and honesty. And I was chatting with Ingrid at the end of the day, and Ingrid really just emphasized that working toward reconciliation is about opening up up this dialogue and bridging these divides and just getting that conversation going among people. Once you say your story or once you hear it or say yeah, actually, actually your own story and share it and say it over and over and share it more and more, you're dealing with your own trauma. So it's just getting everybody else to deal with theirs too and reconciling. It's not about blaming or colonization and all that. It's, like, it's just about let's get people talking and let's Let's get them to reconcile together, right? And work together. If you isolate people, they won't talk. So again, you got to bring them together, right? So it sounds like a lot of people had the opportunity to share their experiences and their perspectives in an environment that was very encouraging of open dialogue. I understand you also went to a second circle, which was called Dispelling the Myths About Indigenous People. Could you share some of the insights that you gathered from that circle? Yeah, absolutely. So this was the second circle that I sat in on. And 
it was really just about, you know, figuring out how to approach these myths that we have in our society about Indigenous people. And so some of the myths that we covered were that all Indigenous people are the same, that all Indigenous people are responsible for their current situation, and that no Indigenous people pay taxes. So depending on your experience and your history and knowledge of residential schools and Indigenous history, you might think that these myths sound irrational or out there because they don't seem to make sense. But even through the conversation, we it really came to light that a lot of us had come across these myths in our day-to-day lives and just interacting with people and having people say these things that they think are true but that truly are myths. So this was a great circle just to kind of debunk all of these common myths that you have in our society and it started by listing off these myths and then it would have all these concrete facts and historical figures to show that these truly are just myths and they're not real. So it just really equipped all of us in the circle to be able to handle these myths when we counter them in our society. Society. And if we counter them, lots of the people in the circle were talking about friends or families that didn't have Indigenous education or historical education. So it really helped people understand why these myths are there, but also be able to counteract them and kind of explain how they are myths. And so one of the gentlemen in the circle with me was Jeff Frank. Him and his wife went to the conference. They just out of curiosity, they they truly want to work toward reconciliation. And so they, they wanted to go and he was in the circle with me. And shortly after him and I sat down and discussed how the circles impacted him as a non-Indigenous man. I grew up, you know, with a, a variety of cultures, none of them Aboriginal, Indigenous cultures and and all of the myths uh, the 10 myths that are portrayed in the um, in, in the narrative today those are the myths I grew up with and uh, they were commonplace and they're still with me they're they're really bred in my bone and I have to work hard uh, to set those back in my head and Jeff goes on to say that he's thankful about his children growing up in a society where those myths aren't as rampant as they were when he was growing up. But he says these myths are clearly still around in our society and they need to continue to be dispelled as time goes on. And And I asked him if he felt more equipped to deal with any encounters of people talking about these myths. And he said he definitely felt more confident to confront them now. You know, I, I think the, the depth of pain that um, that individuals feel in their own experience, experiences their family, and some of them have opportunities to to, to hear people shed tears about um, their experiences as Aboriginal people, uh, either as as survivors of, of residential schools or the intergenerational impacts of residential schools. So that was actually very moving for me, and um, so I, I think more people needed an opportunity to have those kinds of experiences. It was a very powerful day, and it's great that people had the chance to get together and have these dialogues. As Kevin mentioned, those conversations are truly the way forward. Thank you so much, Shaylin, for bringing us the story today. Thank you. Coming up after the break, we'll have coverage from a wonderful event coming up next weekend called Art in Bloom. It's being held at the Winnipeg Art Gallery, and floral designers will be recreating some of the artwork in the gallery using flowers. How cool is that? My co-host Nolan Bicknell spoke with Henny Corin, the co-chair of the event, and we'll hear his interview that he recorded earlier this week after this next song, which is the Boston Pops Orchestra with Intermezzo right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you this morning. And we're now joined in studio by a very special guest. We have Henny Corin, the co-chair of the Art and Bloom event that's happening next weekend at the WAG. Yes, April 20th is our preview event, which I will tell you about. But April 20th to 23rd is when the um, event is open to the general public. Awesome. Gallery hours, Winnipeg Art Gallery hours, and it'll be fantastic. It's going to be good. So yeah. before we get into it, tell me a little bit about what people can expect when they come to this Art and Bloom event, because it's a special one-time only throughout the weekend, but it's based, I understand, on something, on different events that happened at, in Boston and in Chicago and New Absolutely York. Absolutely, Nolan. Tell me about what inspired this event. Well, it was done actually in 1994 and 96, and it was really very well received, but that was years ago, and a lot of people don't remember or didn't attend. What inspired it was the Gallery Ball, which is the um, fundraising event at the Art Gallery. They have beautiful centerpieces that are inspired by the art on the walls. Okay. And this event, it's for, I think, 300 people who can attend. They're limited by the amount of space in the gallery. And all these beautiful floral centerpieces, you know, were only seen by 300 people. So that's kind of what inspired our thinking of Art and Bloom. Is you just wanted more people to experience the beauty that... Absolutely. At least 300 were privy to. Right. How to get more people in to be able to see this beautiful, you know, the flowers itself were a work of art. A little bit of investigation. We visited the Minneapolis Institute of Art last April, and we were just in awe. They've been doing it for about 35 years. Boston Gallery, I think, 40 years. The people, the art, the engagement of people with flowers and the art was just, we were wowed. So what's, it, what's exactly going to be happening? You said that there's a kickoff party happening. Is this Thursday? There's a couple components to okay. Art and Bloom. The first piece was we had a speakers series, six speakers over the course of the winter, spring, and we brought people into the gallery to hear different speakers, but gave them a chance to learn about Art and Bloom and pick a piece of art that they wanted to interpret with flowers. Okay, cool. So the art, we had another subcommittee who went through the gallery and looked at the art that was part of their permanent collection. And they chose about 60 pieces of art, Inuit sculptings, furnishings that they thought would adapt themselves very well to be interpreted. Oh, through floral art then, right? Through flowers, okay, through fresh flowers. Fre oh, okay, that's amazing. And I, I understand, well, I was reading on the website earlier that uh, Martha Stewart called the uh, one of the speakers at the workshops, named a top floral designer by Martha Stewart. Tell me about the workshops. Okay, so the day one, the Thursday before the event opens to the public, yeah. we have invited a woman from the um, Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. Her name is Holly Hyder Chapel. So she is the one that Martha Stewart has named as one of the top 50 floral designers in the States. Cool. Holly is going to come to Winnipeg, and she's going to do two things. The first day on Thursday, she's doing a master class, which is just for professional oh. florists. So that's been open to all the professionals in the um, province, and I think we have somebody coming in from Saskatchewan as wow. well. Cool. So they are paying to learn from Holly. One so of the best in the world at what she does. Well, she's world-renowned. I mean, last week she was in London, England. Doing a, doing a presentation work, workshop. So she's she's been around. She knows her stuff. She knows her stuff. Very and cool. I mean, if you follow her on Instagram and Facebook, she's got a lot of following. Yeah, she had, she, her website is incredible looking. She has some beautiful pictures on there. So I would imagine. Fantastic. Yeah, cool. So she's going to come on the first day. And for professionals only, she's going to teach them mechanics and structure. Cool. How to create and do it well. And they're going to turn Eckert Hall, which is the major area of the art gallery. So when you walk in... Eckert Hall is going to be, it's called Spring Awakening. 
Wow. So this class is going to decorate oh. Eckerd Hall when you walk in. So it's really going to be wow. a wow. A wow. I can imagine just the fresh scents oh. and smells and like And especially for Winnipeggers. Right. You know, we're just craving spring. What a way to kick off spring. It's exactly. That's amazing. So that's the Thursday. That's the, the professionals. Friday morning, Holly is um, offering a workshop, a uh, two-hour workshop where, where she's going to teach how to do a, a centerpiece. Okay. So she'll teach and then the participants will get to take home. That's a little more accessible, I would imagine. It's not going to be the hardcore for all the professional right, florists. Right, right. This it's is for just for people who like flowers and really are, aren't sure what to do with them once they bring them home. Now, is there room in these in the second day of the workshops for the public, or is that sold out? That sold out okay. really immediately. Yeah, I can tell. Because we wanted to keep it small enough that you really got mm. hands-on with Holly. Right. And as year one, Nolan, you know, we're learning. And to, sure. to see how quickly that sold out, hopefully in years to come, there'll yep. be more of those. Right. There is still room, though, for the professional ones. Oh, cool. Okay. There's still spaces available. So if there's any professional florists out there listening, can Absolutely. they call a number? And, and it, it's all online. You on can register. Yeah. Perfect. So wag.ca, and, and yeah, that'll show exactly. all the Art and Bloom stuff. Right. So when, when, when your average Joe, when, when Nolan Bicknell walks through to see Art and Bloom, right. what, what am I going to experience? Okay, for, so you're going to walk into Eckerd Hall, which has just been decorated by Holly and her team with this design. There's 16-foot structures and walls and flowers and moss. So the whole wag is being transformed. The whole wag. Oh, my God. And then, and this is all for the cost of admission. Like, it, we want it to be accessible. It's, I think it's $12 to get into the gallery. Cool. So for that, so you, and then you get to walk through all the galleries. 50 of the pieces are going to be interpreted with fresh flowers. Wow. So there's going to be something called, um, what's well, a plinth or a pedestal okay. next to the piece of art. And on that pedestal is going to be the fresh flowers that are interpreting the oh, art. Oh, I understand. So you're going to oh, look okay, at the flowers, cool. you're going to look at the art, you're going to look back to the flowers, and you're going to think, See the connection mm, there. What were they thinking? Right. I wonder why they did that. But you're going to be engaged yeah, in a you, way that people don't typically get engaged sure. with the art. Well, it's just another way to express a similar sentiment that the art piece is expressing to that particular person who looked at it and decided, this yeah. is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And it's not copying what the, the art was. I mean, some people may decide if there's a floral picture they want to do exactly. But my guess is right. there's going to be a huge diversity. Yeah. All the galleries are open, so there's going to be interpretations in all the galleries which gives guests a chance just to wander through the gallery and see everything that, you know, the WAG has to offer, which is pretty fantastic. That's a great, great idea. So we want the flowers, the interpretive flowers, to be ready for Thursday and last all the, th all the way through till right. Sunday. Cool. So you've got to be kind of particular in what flowers you choose. For sure. Right? Because yeah, I wouldn't even have thought of that because you have to have them last and look good for that many days, right? Right. Like, I mean, we're going to have a team walking through every morning just give to them a make sure. Maybe? Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. I, I, I don't know much about flowers, but I know you got to keep them, exactly. keep them spritz. Exactly. Well, so this is happening April 20th. April 20th is the kickoff party. Is the kickoff, Perfect. 7 to 9. It's open to the public. Tickets are available online. Okay. And I know there's still tickets available. $75. And it's a sneak peek as to what Holly and her team of florists have created. It's, you know, wine and, you know, light bites. Cool. And you get a chance to walk through the gallery. Awesome. And then, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, gallery hours, 11 to 7 and then 11 to 5 on the weekend. And it's open to everybody. We're really encouraging um, people who don't typically come to the gallery. Yeah. You know, come and see spring. 
and, sure. and see what the gallery has to offer. What a perfect way to kick off spring here in Winnipeg, Art and Bloom. We have an outreach committee, and they've attract, they've uh, approached schools and senior centers. I know there's a couple buses coming. Oh, nice. So it, we want it, we, we want it to be for everybody. We've had a fantastic committee. I can tell you, with an event like this and so many components, it does not happen without the hard work of a large committee. Definitely. Hazel and I are just so grateful to everybody that has given their time. And the event itself, we need over 120 volunteers, oh, wow. hands-on, to make sure it's a great experience for everybody. Well, with how it seems to be set up on the website and, and what you've described for us today, it sounds like it's going to be a fantastic event. So I'm going to wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you. Um, have fun. And uh, yeah, Arden Bloom is happening next weekend, uh, April 20th to 23rd. You can go to wag.ca to find all of the information about that. Uh, thank you so much, Henny Corinne, the oh, uh, no co-chair of the Art and Bloom event coming up at the WAG this weekend. Thanks for uh, having us on. Thanks, Nolan. Coming up after the break, we'll speak with Ali Raza Aladina. He is participating in the Winnipeg Foundation's Emerging Leaders Fellowship, and he's working with the Social Planning Council of Winnipeg on a research project with the goal of strengthening relations between the Indigenous and newcomer communities in our city. But before we get to that, we're going to hear Waltz of the Flowers by Andre Kostelanitz right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you this morning, and I am now joined by a very special guest, Ali Raza Aladina. He is a participant in the Winnipeg Foundation's Emerging Leaders Fellowship, and he's working on a project with the Social Planning Council of Winnipeg. Ali Raza, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Hi, pleasure to be here. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your Indigenous Newcomer Services Research Project that you're working on with the Social Planning Council of Winnipeg. Winnipeg has one of the largest uh, Aboriginal urban population, as well as newcomer population uh, is growing. So both share the same neighborhoods, and there's also a lot of research on how there's so many similarities between the two broad communities at various levels. But unfortunately, these similarities are not known to the communities and there's a lot of tension or social distance between the two. And so it's important to sort of work towards this. So that's where it started. And when the ELF opportunity came uh, with the Winnipeg Foundation, I thought now if we can apply for funding, then we can do some more serious work on it. So that's how it all started. And the project is basically... Uh, One is to have a report on various uh, initiatives that are taking place in the city, uh, in the settlement sector, and that way we have an inventory of different initiatives that are taking place, whether it's educational or cultural activities. A lot of the organizations are not aware on initiatives that are being done by other organizations. So if there is an inventory at least there will be a general idea of what others are doing and how they could partner up or how they could, you know, get inspired with those ideas. Uh, So that's one thing. And I have also been tasked by the Social Planning Council to try and work on an orientation toolkit that could be sort of uh, done to newcomers. The orientation toolkit itself can be used at different levels, but so that's something really practical. And if we're successful in having that Uh, accomplished, then I think it could have some good impact. So in a sense, it's creating a framework that Mm -hmm. a lot of other organizations or other community groups can work off of. Yes, absolutely. In fact, one of the TRC calls to action recommendation uh, number 93 actually specifically points out at this educational aspect for newcomers, basically. So this is a very important work. And from the even the talks that I've had with indigenous leaders, it's a great opportunity because something like this has not been done in other cities in Canada. So Winnipeg could be sort of the pioneer. Although this is a small project, but we're looking at the long term. Uh, we're not limiting this project to the one year, but generally to expand this. Through some of the interviews that you've conducted with some of the participants, What has the response been to the program so far, and what have people learned? We're still at the initial phase. So, so far, the interviews have been on what sort of initiatives uh, the different organizations that are interviewed are already involved in and what they'd like to see. So the responses have been very good. Uh, Some of them actually are working on it. Some of them are thinking of it, and they were very uh, encouraging I got a lot of support from them to do my work. Um, So there is great interest, and uh, they're interested to see uh, how this is going to go about, and uh, they're interested to read my report at the end as well. 
That's great. So it's clear that both Indigenous people and newcomers both want those relations to be better, but it's just a matter of creating a little bit more understanding and creating opportunities for education. Absolutely. In fact, to be honest, there are structural challenges within organizations, but this is something that is increasingly being seen as a priority. Obviously, newcomers come to Canada and they don't, the orientations they go through when they're in their home country or any other country from which they're coming is very limited. The information that they get on Canada is very limited and it's probably... rooted in colonialism, basically. Exactly, exactly. And when they come to Canada, they have no idea about the colonial history of Canada and its contemporary legacies. And when they come, their first priority is integration. So when they see things on the street, for example, or they hear stereotypical things from maybe relatives or friends or people, that's the information that they have. They have no way to know what is the reality. Is this really uh, limited information that I have or this is partial or what is the entire story? Uh, so, so that's why uh, the tensions are being seen, especially amongst the youths uh, who go to high school, but also in the neighborhoods where both populations actually live in the same vicinity but don't interact. And when you don't interact, you don't know about the other. So there is need for programs that brings the two communities together and in that we learn about each other. And once they do that, magic can happen because... They share so much in common, the colonial history. That's the first thing. Cultural aspects, spiritual aspects, values, um, commonality in terms of values, especially communal values, as well as uh, some of the challenges that both communities face in Canada, uh, socioeconomic challenges. So they could actually be a great force working together and, uh, you know, reclaim things like identity, work on cultural revitalization. All these things are so common. So it's a great opportunity. And through such projects, through bringing this conversation, through bringing the two communities in a, in a dialogue sort of format, great things can happen. And we're looking at different levels. It's not just, uh, you know, sitting and talking. It could be through cultural exchanges, creative arts, for example, cultural exhibitions, crafts, so things like that. All, all these things are sort of uh, very important areas. If people want to learn more about the Social Planning Council or the Indigenous Newcomer research that's going on, where can they go to get more information? First, there is a guidebook that I think was published by the Manitoba Central Committee for newcomers on indigenous peoples, uh, and it's uh, specific to the Manitoba context. So that is a, a good resource. But other than that, the University of Winnipeg has a lot of uh, different events, not specifically focused on uh, newcomer indigenous relations, but generally on indigenous culture, indigenous worldviews, and listening to indigenous elders and leaders. So that is another area. Other than that, um, the Social Planning Council has a report that has been published uh, on intercultural dialogue, um, and uh, that is a, a good resource, and I'm sure there's much more. 
And people can access the website of the Social Planning Council of Winnipeg at spcw.mb.ca. And specifically, uh, the Immigration Partnership Winnipeg, which is uh, part of the Social Planning Council. Excellent. Ali Razda, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me. Coming up after the break, Noah Ehrenberg joins us to discuss what's new in our community through the lens of citizen journalists at Community News Commons. But before we get to that, here are the Youngbloods with Get Together, right here on River City 360. You 
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you this morning, and I am now joined by Noah Ehrenberg. He is the convener of Community News Commons, Winnipeg's citizen journalism website. Noah, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks for inviting me. It's a great morning to be here. As we mentioned at the top of the show, the vital conversation called Bridging Divides, Shaping Futures took place recently. Its focus was on truth and reconciliation, and it brought people together to have some really important conversations. Yeah, that's right. And it was a it was a terrific event um, that uh, I think really shed some light on a topic that a lot of people struggle with. And one of the writers for Community News Commons, which is the Citizen Journalism Project of the Winnipeg Foundation, you can find it at communitynewscommons.org online. Uh, one of the writers, citizen writers, is Vivian Ketchum. And uh, Vivian is a uh, First Nations writer who uh, is a residential school survivor. And she's written quite a few articles for Community News Commons. And she has one this week that's called called Reconciliation 101. Uh, Anin means welcome uh, is the name of the article. But essentially, uh, I would encourage our listeners to check out uh, Vivian's uh, article this week and check out more stuff that she's written on the site because there's quite a few articles by Vivian. And she talks about reconciliation as a difficult word uh, for her because, as she puts it, she doesn't want people to reconcile at her. She wants people to reconcile with her. Really what she wants is for people to understand her uh, as an Indigenous person, as a woman, as a residential school survivor. And she encourages us to start by talking to each other and uh, talk uh, to her as opposed to at her. So it's a very interesting take on the perspective of somebody who has thought about reconciliation a lot. And, um, you know, she, she really wants to start a candid conversation. And um, she says she, she talks about reconciliation or she, she figures out reconciliation through her writing. And she doesn't presume to have all the answers to this uh, difficult question or how best to get along with each other. Uh, as she says, all I can do is to keep sharing my stories and pictures with people, get to know me by my stories, by what I write, my Indigenous culture and who I am, get to know my Indigenous brothers and sisters. And I think it's a it's an interesting article that I that I would encourage our listeners to check out. And um, you can click on Vivian Ketchum's name on that article and all her other articles will uh, pop up that she has written for Community News Commons. And uh, I'd encourage our listeners to check it out because she's a great writer and uh, a lot of people like uh, reading the stuff that she uh, uh, publishes on uh, CNC. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And Community News Commons also is continuing 
coverage of the Canada Games, and I understand there's a story about the rowing venue for the upcoming games here in the city. That's right. We've partnered with Canada Games. Uh, of course, it's the 50th anniversary, and so what we're uh, wanting to do is to offer as many different articles about all the different aspects of this very special event that's coming to Winnipeg this coming summer. And um, one of the articles that Susan Cameron uh, wrote uh, this week and has published is about the rowing venue that will be in Kenora. Uh, Kenora Rowing Club uh, has a venue at Rabbit Lake. Uh, The Winnipeg Rowing Club is also one of the sponsors of the rowing events during the games, but there's going to be a big deal going on out uh, in Kenora, and this town of Kenora has embraced this event like no other. And there's some very interesting details about some of the special things that are going on in Kenora with regards to the event coming up in the summer. Susan Cameron has that uh, coverage. She also talks about rowing in a very interesting way because most people don't associate rowing with Manitoba. But um, we learned from this article that Manitoba has sent more rowers to the Olympics than any other sport in the province. Wow. So it's a big deal around here. And uh, you can check out Susan Cameron's article on that venue profile as well as all the other coverage that we have on Canada Games uh, on communitynewscommons.org. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand that tonight there's a very special guest coming to Winnipeg, and a lot of people are going to be having fun, or should I say, fun, fun, fun? (laughs) Indeed, that's right. And our our, uh, community news uh, reporter, uh, Shirley Kowalchuk, who's written uh, for Community News Commons quite a bit, she does a a preview of what is the Pet Sounds 50th Anniversary World Tour. Now, of course, Pet Sounds was the Beach Boys album, uh, a turning point album that came out 50 years ago, and um, there's a celebration of that. Brian Wilson, along with uh, Beach Boys Al Jardine and um, Blondie Chaplin uh, will be performing the this now heralded masterpiece along with an orchestra backup band, and that'll be at the uh, Burton Cummings Theatre tonight. So it's going to be a special uh, event, that, uh, and Winnipeg's lucky to have that event uh, come here. It's really considered to be one of the uh, more seminal albums uh, in American history because it was a real artistic break from sort of the simpler dance music at the time uh, to a, a much greater artistic musical arrangement. Um, not just, uh, you know, um, you know, a break from what the Beach Boys were doing, but really American popular music in general. So uh, it's, a, it's a terrific album that, uh, like I say, came out um, half a century ago, and uh, it's going to be featured tonight at the Burt. And Shirley Kowalczyk has a very interesting preview of it. She talks about the history of the album and how, you know, the 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 publisher of the album was thinking of shelving the album. There was a wow! A, a, I can't it, even imagine it, that. It, it, exactly. There was a there was a whole sort of difficulty with getting it onto uh, store shelves. Uh, it was lucky that it got into the hands of uh, of people who wanted to buy it. But as soon as they did release it, uh, it became a huge success. And so, um, Shirley does a terrific job uh, citing different sources of people who have written about. The Beach Boys and about uh, their amazing musical career. And uh, you can check that out on communitynewscommons.org. It's called Beach Boys Pet Sounds Celebrates Half Century. Sounds great. Now, typically we ask you to bring in a local Manitoba song for us to play here on the show, but seeing as how Brian Wilson is coming to Winnipeg, how about we play something from the Beach Boys today? Exactly, and I think we should play something from that album, Pet Sounds. So I'd like to offer up for our listeners uh, one of my favorite Beach Boys tunes called Wouldn't It Be Nice? And you're listening to River City 360 with Shaylin McMahon and Robert Zirk on 93.7 CJNU.
After my cousin passed away, suddenly, I saw what can happen when you don't have a will. Everyone should have an up-to-date will. Once your family and friends are taken care of, it's easy to include a gift to a charity of your choice. I work in Winnipeg's charitable sector and I know what a difference even a small gift can make. That's why I've decided to leave a gift in my will. Learn more about creating a will at a free Will Week session April 24th to 28th. Visit winnipegwill.com for more information. We've got time for one more song. Here's America with Lonely People, right here on River City 360. And that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening, and a big thank you to all of our guests for speaking with us today. 
If you want to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, please visit rivercity360.org. River City 360, Views and News from Around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow at River City 360 on Twitter or search for River City 360 on Facebook. And we would love to hear your feedback about the show. Please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360, or you can send an email to rivercity360 at wpgfdn.org. Feel free to leave us a comment about the show. If you'd like to request a song that you'd like to hear, we'd be happy to play you a tune, or you can suggest a topic that we should cover on a future show. So again, that is 204-944-9474, extension 360, or you can email us at rivercity360, that's the number 360, at wpgfdn.org. I'm Shayla McMahon, signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening. Thank you to Shaylin McMahon for being my guest co-host this week. My co-host Nolan Bicknell will be back next week, and we'll see you next week as well. Have a great weekend. 